whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi guys. Today I am doing a solo episode of Ageless because I'm talking about a very personal journey that I went on in order to get pregnant with my beautiful daughter Gigi and sort of prompted by some information that we got that um record numbers of women during 2020 froze their eggs. So I just think that's incredible. And I was thinking about it and thought it might be helpful for me to tell my story. So here we go. I have always worked very, very hard, like long days, many, many hours and never taking a day off and loving my work. Love, love, love. And so when that is happening, I think, you know, time flies and years are going by and things like having a kid just kind of gets put on the back burner until one day you wake up and realize, holy shit, I'm 39. I love kids. I really want to have a family. I want to have kids. But Basically, if I'm not pregnant by Saturday, I don't know what's going to happen. So I just decided it's now or never. And I had just gotten married and I thought, you know, no time like the present. So we tried and I have to say pretty quickly I got pregnant and I was elated and Things seemed great and we were, you know, everything was normal and the pregnant, I felt great. And then at three months, I had a terrible miscarriage. And anyone who's gone through that knows that it is devastating. And I kind of thought, okay, well, I missed my chance. And You know, the only thing that sort of gets you through something like that is that the doctors tell you, you know, it wasn't meant to be there. There was a problem with the baby. And, you know, that definitely makes you feel better about it. But what they also tell you is that after some recovery time, it's actually the best time to get an easiest time to get pregnant. And they were right. So I was giving myself a little space and doing back to normal things, you know, working hard and and having a lot of fun with my friends and and doing some crazy things. And I actually remember, okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I remember parasailing in the Hudson River (laughs) off a boat, which you used to be able to do before 9-11. And having like the craziest, wildest time. And then the next day waking up thinking, huh, I haven't gotten my period. And 
for a while, actually. And, and I knew that I may or may not. Anyway, I took a pregnancy test and miracles happened and I was pregnant again. And so I really thought, you know, I got to take it easy a little bit. And I did all the tests. I did amnio. I did everything. And on May 20th, 1999, I gave birth to Kit. And it was amazing and great. And it was a pretty easy birth, although she had a tiny bit of complications. But all in all, I felt super lucky. Then, you know, things go along and life throws some curveballs. And I was, again, focused on work. And I was a single mom. And I was having the time of my life with my little girl. And we just felt like it was the two of us and we were having a great time. And then, you know what? I I said, I really want her to have a sibling. I really want her to be able to grow up with someone else in the family that she could be close to, that they would have each other. And so when Kit was about almost five, I thought if I can even hope against all odds that I can have another child, I need to get some science involved. And so I started talking to various fertility doctors and various institutions and pretty much every single person said, you have a 1%, you have a 2%, it's not going to happen. And it just got very depressing very quickly. And so I thought, okay, if this is going to happen, it's got to happen now. I, I have to do everything I possibly can. And at least then I can know that I tried and I did everything I could. So my boyfriend, now husband, said, okay, let's do this together. And I, you know, his motto is, if you are looking for something in your life, whether it's an apartment or a doctor or a, a new car, whatever it is, ask everyone you know. And even the people you think you wouldn't know, you still ask. You just ask everyone. So I asked a friend who said, I have a friend who knows the absolute best doctor. and. It's impossible to get an appointment, but I'm going to make a call. I'll try to help you. I know this means a lot to you. And I know you don't have time to dilly-dally. And so I waited a month or two, I think, for an appointment and finally got in to see Dr. Fateh. I remember he. I went into his office. I sat at his desk and he said, I am going to get you pregnant. and. I just cried. I was felt so hopeful for the first time. I felt like if it could happen, this is how and where it would happen. So I went on a journey and it was unsuccessful the first time, second time complications and took a short break. And then went back again and 
did the maximum amount of injections and everything that was possible to help create eggs and it worked. And I'll never forget walking into his office for just a regular, you know, every other day, I think I had to go have blood taken. I was doing shots twice a day. I remember I was on jury duty and I had to do my shots in City Hall or whatever that, you know, municipal building is in the bathroom. I just would stop at nothing. And I walked in his office and he took one look at me and he said, you're pregnant. I'm like getting choked up just say, just telling this story because it's so unbelievable. So on January 27th, 2005, Miss Gigi Powers came into the world and let me just say, she's a force and we are so, so lucky to have our little family. Gigi just turned 16 and so a lot has changed. And Dr. Fateh is here today to tell us everything that's happening right now and hopefully answering a lot of questions for everyone who is thinking about this, has tried this, and I hope this helps other people to be as happy and have your dreams come true like it happened for me. I'm so happy to see you. Wow. I think about you all the time, obviously, because I have my little miracle baby who just turned 16 Wednesday. That's how long ago that was. Years go by quickly. Oh, my God. Think how many how many families you've created and happy people through your years. Well, I think they did it themselves. I was just standby. I was just a catalyst. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, first, before we talk about actually what IBF is, can you tell us a little bit about your history and how you started and when you started and how you ended up in this I think it's a pretty new science in the last 30 or 40 years. 45, 50 years. You know, basically, you know, after finishing your medical school, people choose a residency, a specialty going to. And I went to obstetric and gynecology. And uh, it's a wonderful field, but I really wasn't happy just delivering babies and, and doing gynecological surgery. So I took... Um, two years fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility, which was very new field. It was probably at the time four or five years old. There are not that many fertility specialists, not that many trained people. They were doing it old fashioned way, you know, just learning from the, their mentors. So, but actually when I went there, it was the beginning, there was training. So you go two or three years of research fellowship saying, I went to university of Pennsylvania. Then, uh, I just loved being able to contribute to people and make them their, you know, help them really be there for them. And I came back to New York and uh, I was uh, a full-time practitioner. I was director of infertility at New York Medical College. 
you know, because it was a Catholic medical school and, and I was restricted by what I can do. So I opened up my own practice and uh, it was the beginning. I'd be in 86 when I came to New York, probably we were four or five genuinely trained specialists in New York City at the time. Wow. And that was it. There were very few of us. A lot of people were doing infertility, but very few people were trained. So I started, I hired the right people, PhDs to work in my lab, technician, brought the right equipment. You know, it was a lot of uh, things, putting pieces of puzzle together to have it in a private practice. I didn't want to do it in a hospital. I thought hospital, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There is a lot of uh, permission steps and the privacy is not there. I, I did it, my, you know, set up a private practice. And in New York City, you know, people are private. They like to keep their privacy. This is how we started. Uh, we started and I really loved what I, I do. And from the beginning in 86, there was no cell phone. I remember I would give my home number to patients. You sure you want me to call you at home? Your wife doesn't mind. I said, no, I'm married to an angel. She absolutely doesn't mind. Even in the middle of the night, I used to get called and she was like, you don't need to leave the bedroom. Speak with your patient. Don't go to another room. So I think, you know, it's the patient goes through so much emotion up and down. And if you're not there for them, it's really hard for them. Not being able to get pregnant is such a lonely, you just feel like so helpless. You feel so lonely. And to have an experience in a hospital or someplace, a big clinic or something, it just, it doesn't make you feel like somebody really cares. And you need to feel like someone is as invested in your well-being and your outcome as you are, you know, and, and that's how I felt. You know, you're 100% correct. It's really an emotional roller coaster for patients. I think every woman is born and, and, and every woman thinks is in, this is her right to be a mother and every man's right to be a father. And when they face the situation, they can't be a mother or there's, there's a block there. It really tears you apart. It's a big pullback. You know, you feel you are not a complete, you're not a whole person. It was like, was in you to be a mom or you to be a dad. Now they tell you you can't, there's a problem. And I think part of what we do, we not only give you the technology, we should be there to hold your hand, uh -huh. to carry you through this journey. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a little bit also, we're so used to having control over our lives and so much, so many parts of our lives. This is something that you have absolutely no control over. And so if you feel you're in good hands, that's the best you can do for yourself, you know, is, is feel like I'm with the right person. It's really nothing that a lay person can really do much about at a certain point, you know? That's absolutely. Everybody, a lot of places offer technology, hospitals, for example, but that, that personal touch is not there because of, you know, whatever, the union, you can't fire a nurse because she belongs to a union. You can't fire a technician if they're not nice to the patient. If, uh, so in a private practice, you eliminate those, those uh, steps. And 
every morning I, you know, I want to go to this, my office. I tell the staff, listen, we all have problems. We leave it at home. Ah. Here, we, we, we all do have problems. We leave it at home. Here, we really help there to smile, to be positive, to help patients, to deal with their problem, not our own problem. Every day, I, I preach this, and I have my own. Everybody has problem. And we come in, and we, really, we have to put that aside. It's, it's our, our really duty to, to help the patient, to just you know, give them confidence, to, to respect them, to make sure they're whole. They, you know, I can't guarantee a pregnancy. I can't promise a pregnancy. But I always promise a patient we treat them with utmost respect and, and truthfulness and you know, clarity in what we do with them. Well, I learned a lot, but that was a long time ago. So maybe you can explain where IVF is at right now and, and just a little bit more about the actual process, what someone goes through or what they, the series of, of events. So we're very fortunate, you know, the last 50 years when the technology started and it's just gone logarithmically through the roof. It's really dynamic. Every few months we have new technology, few data, few information. The science is just wonderful. I remember 36 years ago when I started, the pregnancy rate in a good hand was probably 10, 15%. Now we're talking about 60, 70% pregnancy rate. Wow. So basically, you know, every woman, when they're at 20 weeks gestation in their mother's womb, they have 10 to 20 million eggs. Wow. So by the time they're born at birth, they have one to two million eggs. So they lose majority of their eggs. By the first time they get their first period, they have only 350,000 to 450,000 egg left. And by the time they reach 40, they have only 35, 40,000 egg left. So the egg number decreases. So the younger the woman the better chance of pregnancy and less chance of genetic abnormality. So every month, your body has scheduled, genetically decides, I'm going to recruit 20, 30, 40, 50 eggs, depends on your starting point. And I'm going to ovulate only one egg. The rest of these eggs die. So every month, a woman recruits 20 to 60 eggs. They reach 3 to 5 millimeter, they die. One would reach 15, 17 millimeter, would ovulate the follicle. So what we do, we give them medication to recruit these eggs that they were going to die. So we do a controlled ovarian stimulation. You go, like you remember, you go on medication, you take injection every day for 10 to 12 days, and we monitor the patient with transvaginal ultrasound, with blood tests to make sure she's developing follicles, her yeah. hormone level is increasing, so we reach a maturity that we have parameters. Then we do the retrieval. The retrieval is very simple. Patients are sedated, general sedation, not general anesthesia, general sedation. And it takes five to seven minutes. We aspirate the eggs vaginally. We give them to our laboratory. They have the sperm ready. They mix them and they create embryo. So we have an embryo that in the past we used to put them, in your time we used to put them day three, then we improved, we were able to put them day five. Now what is really changed, which is important now, called pre-implantation genetic screening. We can take this embryo and test it for genetic diseases. 
So if the parents come with certain genetic disease that they want to eliminate it in the children, we can take the parent's blood, create a probe, a DNA probe, and test the embryo for that probe. For example, if mother has breast cancer, they identify the gene in her with the breast cancer. We take the probe, we test the embryo for the breast cancer. So we can have a girl without breast cancer gene or a boy without breast cancer gene. Hemophilia, certain many diseases that we can make to probe. This is really the beauty of it. So we can create healthy babies. Amazing. Which wasn't there 16 years ago, as prevalent as it is today. So this is really big thing in our field. And every day we're discovering new things. We're discovering new medias to grow these embryos for a longer period of time and testing and the technology is really fantastic. This is uh, amazing. Uh, we are very fortunate and women are fortunate to be this age in 2021. And what about alternative extra helping treatments that you can do? Because I remember I did acupuncture and that was really, really helpful in regulating and opening up the blood vessels. And and I wonder if that's still a thing or if there's more advanced. It's a great question. It's really a very important question because people are getting more into organic and, and natural and health. So we, we started acupuncture probably 27 years ago, very early, because we really don't understand scientifically acupuncture as much as we want to. So our Western medicine shies away from it. But I, you know, the, one of the beauty of the acupuncture, I felt, you know, New York City patients are very stressed to start with. They get up early morning, they have a business breakfast, they run to the gym, they work all day. And I decided, so I'll bring acupuncture to our practice and I would send the patient two or three in the afternoon. They're there in a room, very quiet, they put some needles in them, and they take sort of a nap, they sleep for 45 minutes. And it really rejuvenates them. And studies have shown if you take a nap in the afternoon, you rejuvenate it. So this is one part of it. You know, maybe the science is behind the curve. A lot of meta-analysis has shown acupuncture really doesn't help producing more egg or better quality eggs. But again, I disagree with it because I think we are lacking behind. Not everybody reports their result. They clearly have shown acupuncture helps with implantation. So when you do embryo transfer, it helps. But I've noticed it with my patient. Again, it's anecdotal because we don't publish our results Patients are more relaxed with acupuncture. Patients are more, we now recommend the past 10 years, I recommend meditation to patients. I recommend yoga to patients. And I think, you know, stress reduction is the most important thing anybody can do at any age for, for your health. In 20, 15 years ago, we didn't really think stress causes heart attack. Now we realize stress does cause heart attack. Stress causes a lot of gastrointestinal problems. Uh, so stress reduction is really good. So when our patients come, I try to connect them to a coach to do you know, meditation, yoga, exercise. And of course, we still use acupuncture on all our patients. We leave it up to them to decide. And also it's age dependent. So 
When you see a younger patient, they are very tense. Maybe they really don't need the technology that we have. Of course, we do preliminary testing on them to make sure their tubes are open, the semen is normal, the numbers of uh, their their follicles, their hormonal levels are normal. So, you know, why don't you go do some meditation? You're young enough, do some acupuncture, do yoga. If you're not pregnant, come back in six months, come back in one year. You know, try to just relax about it. People are not relaxed, definitely are not relaxed. <laughs> because I think it's like when you decide like, okay, I want to have a baby, you want to, it's like, well, I have to get pregnant by Saturday. You know, it's like, you can't do that, you know? And I do think that that was so much a part of why I was lucky enough to have it work too, was because my attitude was really so positive because of you and your staff and and the whole environment there was so positive and relaxing, you know, and that I think helped. Tremendously. You know, I, I've seen over the last 36 years, patients come in really tense. They don't do well. They don't even respond well to medication. Then the second cycle, when I sit down with them, if they're not pregnant, say, listen, you know, we're doing our best. You're doing our best, your best. It's not under your control or my control. We do our best. Just relax. Just, you know, have faith in yourself. Also, people all of a sudden, they wake up and say, oh, all my friends are pregnant except me, which is not true. And sometimes they tell me, you know, all my friends are pregnant. So, okay, let's go through your friends. From your high school friends or college, I just sit down with them. Okay, we have 40 friends. How many are pregnant? Oh, you're right, Dr. Fine. They're not all pregnant. You only see the pregnant ones. That's that's correct. It, the whole thing messes with your mind. Yeah. Like, yes, you become somebody else, you know. The whole thing can, I think, under other circumstances, really mess you up, but... I had a, an amazing experience. Well, I'm so happy. I wanted to also ask, I think the whole perception of IVF in the in the world has really opened up too. I think it's a maybe it's a combination of people are more open to discussing a lot of personal things because of social media, which I think is great. But I'm wondering about, you know, from the beginning when you started and people probably wanted to sneak in in dark glasses and, you know, disguise coming in and not telling anyone and not sharing their experience and what it's like now. Great observation. It's really excellent observation because you've seen the social media, the social media has changed things. 20 some odd years ago, I was sitting, you know, our, our, we schedule patients so they don't run into each other. And our reception area is never two more than two people sitting. I was sitting in my consultation room. I hear two people screaming. Wow, what what happened? I ran into the reception area. Two sisters who were my patients. One has three children with me. The other one was working on the second one. They ran into each other and they never told each other. Oh, my God. They came with their, their, their marriage name. I didn't know they were sisters. And it never came up. They didn't know their... So it was that people never talk about it. Yeah. And I remember I used to tell my patient, I still do. You know, New York City is small. I said, if I run into you in a party, in a cocktail, museum, restaurant, I never say hello to you. Don't think I'm improper or not polite. I just don't want to acknowledge or know you. If you say hello to me, of course, I'll come say hello to you. But 
this you want to keep your privacy. Now but things have changed. People talk about it, and it really helps other people so they don't feel they're lonely. We've had patients that we recommended certain treatment to them, said, can any of your old patients talk to me? So I called a few patients and said, do you mind talking to this patient? And they became good friends. They became good friends. It's just amazing. And they help each other, which is really important. So the beauty of social media and and talking about it, so we have same-sex couples, a single woman, single men that coming in now. You know, 30 years ago, I didn't see them as, as much. I saw a few same-sex couple that would come in. They were nervous talking about it. Now it's, it's, it's wonderful. They come in, we get eggs for them, we get sperm for them, we get surrogate for them, we get whatever they need. We just want to work on a baby. And uh, especially in Europe, you know, we get a lot of European patients because in Europe, you can't do same, same-sex couple, you can't do surrogacy, you can't do donor egg. In France, you can't even do donor sperm. So, you know, it's each country has its own regulation. But again, because of the internet, they opened up. They talk about it all the time. So this is another really advantage for, for women and men to become a parent, which they know they are not lonely. You know, it used to be if a, if a 32-year-old woman had certain disease like endometriosis, I would tell her, you know, you need to get pregnant. I'm single, Dr. Fata. And we didn't have egg freezing. But I say you may run out of egg. You may never get a chance to become pregnant. And they would think about it. Many of them will come back. And they say, okay. I spoke with my family. They're willing to support me. No, it's not an issue, which is wonderful. Yeah, I was single when I came. I had my older daughter already, four, I think, or almost five. I just wanted her to have a sibling. I was looking into donor, sperm donors and all different things. And the guy I was seeing at the time was like, well, what, what about me? Can I, you know? I remember that and it turns out now we've been married for 15 years so it's kind of a miracle I love when I see partners in the office so I feel my patient is not lonely it's not going through this alone I encourage to bring their sexual partner if they don't have any anybody bring their mom they bring their dad they bring somebody to the office so they're well supported and i remember your partner i remember him like it was yesterday <laughs> he was very sweet he was always there very quiet very gentle quiet i don't know about that he was with me <laughs> he was probably scared to death anyway i don't know what he's <laughs> very grateful we're very grateful it's so funny i'll just as a quick aside Gigi announced that she might be thinking of becoming a fertility doctor because she's, you know, has heard her story so many times and she knows, you know, and is so comfortable with the whole thing. And Kit has announced that she definitely wants a surrogate. So I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch with you again in a few years. Well, you know, I feel I'm getting very old because now I'm freezing the babies that are created in our office. Their eggs. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's a fact that I read that 2020 was the year that more people froze their eggs than ever before because I think you know people were in quarantine, they weren't dating, women were you know like, am I ever going to get out of these sweatpants and you know be able to have a kid someday? And again, there's so many different ways to do it, but that was the 
the big fertility outcome of 2020 was that a record number of women froze their eggs. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. We froze more eggs and you know, because of again COVID, we we were closed for eight weeks. Then we opened. Then we see patients uh, with half an hour of each other, and yet we some we have more calls to make appointments for new patients in 2020 than than previous years. I think because of COVID, people sort of self reflecting on their lives. Yeah what they want to do with their life. A lot of things are becoming meaningless for them. There may be spirituality, family reunion, you know, you got, you stayed in home. Many people, their adult children, they came back to the suburb to live with them. They were living in the city in their apartments. They went back living with their parents. Parents are happy. So there's a lot of self-reflection in the past, you know, 2020, the silver lining yeah. of the COVID is you you value life differently. So we, we froze more eggs. We saw more requests for new patients to have babies, even older couples, uh, which we always seen it, but a lot more this year in you 2020. what the oldest pregnancy is, or you're not allowed? No, no, no. I, I have a patient. Me? It might have been me. No, 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 no. <laughs> no you are very young. My oldest patient, her first baby was with me at age 57, the second baby at age 60. Wow. We just had another delivery in August of a 60-year-old lovely lady who had a new partner and wanted they wanted a baby with a new partner. So we had two age 60, one 58, and... Uh, the, the babies are healthy, the parents are healthy, and uh, I remember the one who was pregnant 58 and 60, she lives in Aparis, on Upper East Side, takes the kids to, to 86th playground, 85th playground, Central Park. She said the first few times people were with us, you're a young grandmother. And she would say, no, I'm the mother, I'm not your grandmother. And I'm so happy to tell people, no, these are my kids. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I wish I had many, many, many more. I feel, I feel like still I would love, you know, I now I I have to hope for teen pregnancies or young pregnancies for my kids <laughs> so I can be a grandma. But I love it, and I wish it would be fun to have kids now. I don't know how my husband feels about that, but actually I do know. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question. Okay, what is... Are you ever too young to start freezing your eggs? And how long can they be frozen? Is it unending, the, the amount of time? So they can be frozen forever, hundreds of years. Not a problem. They, you, you thaw them and they're beautiful and they're fresh. And it's really important for women to freeze their egg before age 30. If they, if they, they don't know when they're going to get pregnant, or even they may not uh, be sure if they want to be a mother. They can always donate their eggs. They should freeze them before age 30. We also freezing in New York City, we're freezing embryos on couples that are young, that are in their late 20s, early 30s, and the women feel they can't be pregnant in finance or in law firms or wherever advertising firm because they want progress. They won't become a partner. So we have frozen many embryos on the 30 
early 30 years old, couple 29 years old. And so as, a, as an insurance, if they are not pregnant on their own by 37, 38, they can put these embryos back in. We just had to have a pregnancy. We froze this lovely couple's embryo when she was 32. We just put them back in. She's 37. Amazing. So egg freezing and embryo freezing is really good. The technology with egg freezing is fantastic. You get over 90% thaw rate. So, and you're young, you produce a lot of eggs. You know, it, the statistic is if you produce, if you freeze 20 eggs and you're less than 30 years of age, you have a wonderful chance of having at least, if not more than one child. So it's a, it's a good thing to freeze eggs. How young, we really don't have an age of frozen eggs as young as 18 because they had disease. Uh, endometriosis, for example, which is very common. We frozen eggs uh, a lot younger, unfortunately. They're going under chemotherapy for leukemia or other uh, malignant diseases. But I think be, between 22 and 28, 29, it's really a good age to, to freeze, freeze their eggs. We really don't know what's happening. We, we're seeing more younger patient not having good quality eggs. Either our screening and testing has got better or life has been too stressful for younger people. Aside from lowering your stress levels, is there anything else younger people can do to start thinking about their fertility health? I eat a fertility health, definitely smoking. Do not smoke. It damages your egg, damages fertilization. It's really bad. I think, you know, again, yoga, meditation, exercise, healthy eating, organic eating, it really preserves your, your, your health. And a good health gives you good eggs. There's nothing vitamin-wise or there's nothing really available to improve your egg quality. Your egg quality, you're born with it. You can't really change it. You're born with your egg quality. You're born with a number of eggs. But preserving it, yes. If you have less stress, you preserve them longer. But you really can't change the quality. The younger you are, the better quality. What about exercise, though? Because, you know, I think, is there such a thing as over-exercising or, you know, that can make it harder? It, it's it's a crazy? great question because... It's, it's a culture in, in this America, we have a culture, if it's good, more is better, which is not true, which is really not true. Exercise is wonderful within a reason. We are not built to genetically and evolutionary to do crazy things on our body. We'll damage our joints, we damage our muscles. You know, orthopedic surgeons are busy. They're doing hip transplant, hip replacement on younger people on, on 35 years old. They're doing knee replacement yes, because, of, because of exercise. So a moderate amount of exercise. You know, we, we are not built to run 15 miles a day, 10 miles a day. We damage our joints. You know, moderate exercise, maybe a mile or two a day, you know, moderate weightlifting, everything in moderation would do great. More than that will damage our body. And when people exercise a lot, they lose, like ballerina, for example. You know, they, they, they do different type of exercise, but their percent body fat goes down. When your percent body fat goes down, it affects your hormone production. So you don't ovulate properly and you go to totally different systems. So you, you need 
good percent of body fat, you need good percent of muscle, you need to be balanced. Overexercise is not healthy for you. And getting regular periods, I assume, has to be part of that. Or can you regulate, help regulate? Well, you know, when you do severe exercise, your period changes. You don't get regular period anymore. And hormone changes. Uh, so it's really, it's not healthy. You know, many, I used to take care of a lot of New York, you know, the, the, the ballerinas. And you, we had to literally get them back to normal with, with eating, uh, you know, some carbohydrate in their diet to start ovulating. Of course, now with the new technology, you know, we give them medication, we get the eggs out of them. But to become pregnant naturally, you, you need to have body fat, you need to have muscle fat, you, you know, you, you, you need to be balanced. You, we can't go extreme. Oh, this is so amazing to talk about. I feel like you're going to get a million calls for people freezing their eggs like that. <laughs> that's just kind of a no brainer. Just to wrap it up. I love talking to you and seeing you again. Can you give us just something that, you know, that you're looking forward to in the future and things that you're excited about in your, in your practice? Every morning I wake up, I'm excited to go see patients. Every time I pick up our, our fertility journal, I'm excited to learn something new. It's a very positive and hopeful field because of the technology, what is coming. We, for example, we didn't have ovarian rejuvenation three years ago. We're doing some ovarian rejuvenation, giving plasma cells, plasma-rich platelet cells to the ovaries and rejuvenating these ovaries in, in, young, you know, in 40 years old so they can produce more eggs. So the technology is really there. It's exciting. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in the field, to do what I do, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Hope you guys love this episode and thanks so much to Ginny Media for our audio production. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> 